0: Welcome to the RentBits Rental Talk podcast, where we interview thought leaders within the rental and real estate industry, discuss current rental market trends, and get their thoughts on how to grow a successful real estate business. Thanks for tuning in to
1: today's episode. Here's your host, Dan Doherty. And welcome to this week's podcast of RentBits Rental Talk. I am your host, Dan Doherty. This week's going to be a little unique, where we're not going to specifically talk about real estate. But we'll talk about being relentlessly resourceful uh, for those businesses that are out there. Um, I have a very special guest here, Brian. Brian, you're awesome. Uh, This is Brian Parks. He's co-founded two companies over the last 10 or so years. And and he's done it bootstrapped, being extremely resourceful. Uh, A lot of the listeners, Brian, are real estate investors, uh, property managers, real estate agents who are entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the stuff that we can talk about today can help their business become more successful by being relentlessly resourceful, not only economically speaking, but also just in terms of, of passion, of drive, of resilience, of everything that goes into starting a successful business. It's not easy. Um, but I wanted to get your feedback, your thoughts on, on being resourceful and um, with both your, your two businesses that you founded. You founded um, the most recent one. It's called Bigfoot Capital. Yep. We'll talk about that. Uh, and then, what, five or six years ago, Brandfolder, mm-hmm. which has been extremely successful to date. Um, but let's talk about maybe some stories that you had in the very beginning of, of how you grew the businesses with very little resources.
0: Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, Dan. Uh, First things first, I'll stop nodding and actually start talking, uh, given this is a podcast. There is no video. There's no video, thankfully. Um, So yeah, excited to be here. I think everything you just touched on in terms of being resourceful, you mentioned three things, you know, that a founder, an entrepreneur, anyone starting an endeavor um, needs to have like table stakes, passion, uh, drive and resilience. So I'm going to assume everyone listening to that, listening to this podcast has that. What I'm also going to assume is that uh, everyone listening to this podcast is not good at everything right so you have to be resourceful in order to bring other people uh, or resources or platforms or whatever it may be into your sphere to get things done to get your uh, to get your operation off the ground, right So if you think of a business or let's talk about a business, what do you need to do? you need to have a product you need to sell a product you need to market a product, you need to operate a bank account, and not run out of cash you have to do all of those things and many many more. And um, you're probably not good at all of them. If you are, you're a unicorn, right? So I think coming to the, the theme of resourcefulness to execute on all of those components of a business is, uh, is critical, right? You're going to make mistakes. You're going to learn as you go. But you have to seek out and find folks and, and platforms, again, that can help you uh, move forward. So, so
1: be open to one change, uh, knowing what your limitations are, Yes. so many sole proprietors, yeah. that, that word back in the day, yeah. e- even now, where a lot of them have a mindset of, I can do everything. And they might be successful to a point, and then they can no longer scale. Uh, because if you think you can do all the marketing, all the sales, all of the development, um, you, you're going to hit a plateau, just like working out, and you, you have to make a change um and and reach out to various people within your network to help you out. Yes. Uh give us an example of how you did that with Brandfolder for example.
0: Yeah, with Brandfolder and with BigFoot. So Brandfolder was a little bit different, you know, we had an initial base of folks that kind of conceived and started the company. So there were basically four of us and you know, that involved uh, involved us seeding the company with a little bit of money. Uh me Basically saying, I'm going to do this full time. I'm going to stop doing other consulting projects. I'm going to fully focus on this. And I was the only person out of those four fully focused on it. Other people had jobs. They put in money, but they had jobs. So, um, you know, I sat in my apartment, didn't go out and rent a space for a little bit. And we invested that money into getting this thing off the ground. I was writing blog posts. I was uh, doing wireframes. I was, you know, specking out software product as best as I could. I reached out to a friend of mine who I'd done a startup weekend with, um, great program. If no one's ever done a startup weekend and you're looking to uh, possibly launch something or um, learn how to launch something, I encourage you to check them out. They're run internationally. Um, so we had met there. I said, Hey, I'm doing this thing. Maybe you can help me with some development work because I didn't write code or I didn't write code very well. I actually did write code and I was pretty bad at it. Um, knowing where you're weak, right? I could have wasted six months trying to build this product, but I knew my buddy, Paul could do a much better job and could cut that time and, you know, Tenth, a tenth of that time, and we could get something to market. So, you know, so that's what, that's what we did. And it was me and Paul cranking away with some some support. But we stood up an application. We applied to an accelerator. We got into an accelerator. We recruited a couple of other people onto the team to come into that accelerator. We didn't have a lot of money to pay them, so we had to get them excited. Um, and that's the thing: you have to get people excited about the opportunity.
1: What accelerator was that in Denver?
0: That was TechStars, which actually now runs Startup Weekend. And Startup Weekends. I think one of the largest
1: in the nation, it it started, uh, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. Yeah,
0: that's probably Uh, right.
1: And 10,000 plus people come in, I think sometime in October. Um, so anyone within the Colorado area or outside of the Colorado area, look it up. It's free to go. Um, lots of great content.
0: Yeah, no, it's awesome. You can meet a co-founder there. You get up, you mean you get to build product, you get to, do customer discovery, you get to pitch your product. Um, who knows? You may even find an investor. Like It's a great program.
1: So um, economically,
0: yeah. how much did you
1: put into Brandfolder before you got into Techstars?
0: I think, well, so we put in 70K to seed it. And it was a little bit um, of a different scenario in that we raised some angel uh, capital prior to Techstars. We were able to do that given some of the uh, experience and connections of some of those four people I mentioned. I wouldn't have been able to do it on myself, not to the degree that we did. Um, so that was extremely helpful. It was also a cautionary tale of raising capital too early uh, from my own personal standpoint, my own personal comfort level, because when you take other people's money, a clock is ticking, whether you like it or not, whether people say it or not, you're expected to you know, achieve results at a fast clip and uh, put that money to work, right? Which is you know, pretty obvious. But um, so we did that. We went through Techstars. We came out didn't raise some money for a while and were just executing on the product, right? We were in beta and Techstars came out and had maybe a thousand beta users, but we were using a freemium model, which was not generating cash as we were burning some cash. And so, yeah, we had to figure out ways to be resourceful with that cash. If that was, hey, not paying ourselves much, that was me taking a pay cut, which I did along the way. If that's us farming stuff out. You know, we had some internal development. We farmed some out, farmed out design, used platforms. As you mentioned earlier in our conversation before the podcast, Fiverr. Um, I can't even remember all the other names, but all those platforms online where you can go get contractors, specialized contractors to uh, to do the work for you that you're not great at.
1: From, it sounds like you learned a lot of uh, lessons. Yes. Uh, maybe maybe uh, raising too much too early. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in the grand scheme of things. 70, 75,000 is not a lot of money. But for those that are listening, they may think that's crazy amount of money. Yeah. Um, and if you were to do it again, it sounds like maybe you would do things a little bit differently. Was that a catalyst for then starting Bigfoot Capital, where uh, it's my understanding that you really don't give up as an entrepreneur? I don't give up equity. Correct. Um, um, can you explain? how that works?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it was absolutely a catalyst inspiration for me to start Bigfoot Capital. So, um, Bigfoot Capital works pretty much exclusively with early stage software businesses, B2B software businesses, um, to provide them with capital. Now we don't do it say pre-product, even pre-revenue. We want to see that these businesses are, have gotten to a stage where they're real businesses. They're probably at least a couple of years in, even up to 10 years in. And they, um, really can utilize our form of capital, which at the end of the day is debt. You know, this is money that's going to be repaid back over a period of time, but enables the entrepreneurs to hold on to their company to a large degree, right? There's two types of capital. There's equity and there's debt. Equity, you're selling part of your company. Debt, you're paying it back, right? So... Um, so that's what we do. We've seen a lot of good success. We launched a couple years ago. You know, we've funded a number of companies and seeing a lot more opportunities. So we think it's a it's a new form of capital. Debt's been around forever, but debt for software companies has been not available and especially at the early stage. So entrepreneurs, again, I'm talking software, not real estate, not main street businesses or services businesses have been limited to going out and raising angel money. Finding rich people, which is challenging, <laughs> um, and uh, venture capital, which is really meant for 1% of companies um, that are going to hockey stick into something really large. So, uh, so that's what we're doing. That's the gap we fill, which, you know, directly I felt from my own experience, uh, building Brand Folder uh, to, a, to a degree, certainly, knowing other entrepreneurs that were building businesses that were, you know, going out hustling for capital and maybe not bringing in the right capital for the type of business they were building. Um, so that that informed it.
1: So let's say you and I are starting a new business. Yeah. We have no uh, personal capital. We don't really have a large network of VCs or angels to go after. Yeah. Um, we don't have a product yet. So we don't have it. maybe it's a SaaS model, maybe it's not, maybe it's in real estate. What could we do now, you know, compared to 10, 15 years ago, there's so many new ways to get traction and gain some, some capital. For example, you could do crowdfunding mm-hmm. with Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of businesses that had zero revenue, zero product, smart things, for example, just had an idea and, uh, they, I think they raised 1.2 or so million on, on Kickstarter. Um, and then they eventually sold, I think two years later to Samsung for $200 million. Um, there's a lot of crowdfunding, real estate related sites, uh, that are out there where if you have, maybe you're looking at a commercial building or a a multifamily complex, you can actually crowdfund that now with all these new regulations um, with the jobs act, et cetera. Do you know any others where being resourceful, that's all about a mindset in my, in my mind, it's, it's a mindset. It's, it's, it's getting rid of the excuses. I don't have money. I don't have marketing experience. I don't have whatever it is, get past that and figure out a way to make it happen.
0: Yeah, you, ha- you have to figure out a way, right? And there's many different paths and you really have to, you know, the, <laughs> so sure, crowdfunding is one. You know, I think Kickstarter is a potentially good idea if you've got a really compelling product, primarily for people, right? A consumer facing product that's going to get people excited that they want to back, right? If you're building a, you know, again, a B2B software company that's a customer relationship management platform for real estate agents, do not go out and crowdfund that because people are, it's just not going to happen. Right. So, you know, if maybe you have some of your own money to put into it, maybe you don't, maybe you have credit cards you have access to, you know, people have to finance businesses on credit cards for a while, right. Before bringing other people's money in, um, oftentimes those one those people are going to say, what have you put into it? Right. What have you been able to put into it beyond your blood, sweat and tears? Right. Oh, I've been doing it on credit cards. I've been consulting on the side. Actually, I've kept my full-time job and, you know, I'm really at a point now where I'd like to be able to, um, to transition out of that. And there's actually some new interesting models. There's a group called Ernest Capital, um, started by a guy named Tyler Tringas, who's um, a pretty active member in the indie hackers community, which is a lot of bootstrappers. He's created a model that basically says, hey, I'm interested in, in founders that are trying to build things. Uh, he's been that guy before. Maybe they're ready to jump on pre, um, put full-time out of their jobs. They've probably got a product, maybe a small revenue base, you know, he will jump into those companies almost as a quasi third founder, um, and put some capital into those businesses, which is, which is really interesting. That's an interesting model. And he's not looking for venture type returns. These are not $5 million series A's that are looking for, you know, a couple hundred million dollar exits. So, you know, stuff is starting to surface. We see in the early stage, um, early stage of companies, right? We just happen to be focused on software. So I can't really speak beyond that necessarily, but You kind of have to go out there and you have to figure it out right and if you're looking for external capital you it's really what's the market going to dictate like you 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 just want to be efficient there you want to get to know really i mean hopefully you can get to yes but if you can't you want to get to know rather than just being strung along the other thing absolutely worth mentioning is get customers (laughs) right like get customers um let's say you're starting something new you're not able to go full-time you're still working a job Find cust- build a product, get customers to pay you. Um, that is traction. That gets cash flow for the business. That can be reinvested back into the business.
1: You know, and and those are all great points. Um, and we're talking about right now just being a startup. Uh, and, and And people think, oh, okay, great. I'll just be resourceful in the startup stage. And then once I make it really, really big, I don't have to be resourceful anymore. That is absolutely not true because, remember, resourcefulness is not just about economics. It's about mindset, yep. right? Yep. It's about even Google and Amazon. When they launch new products, They Google, for example, wants to be 10x better than anything else out there. When they launched Gmail, um, which actually was called Fluffy Bunny before it launched <laughs> internally when we were at Google. But when they launched in 2004, they wanted to be 10x better than the nearest competitor. At that time, it was Hotmail. So they were ten x faster, the search experience was better. It was free for up to a gig of storage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it's probably the best in the I would say it's the best in the world um, from a, from but they were very scrappy, very resourceful in the in the beginning because um, there's a lot of challenges as it related to email and so forth. I just pulled up Amazon's values, and uh, one of their their values is frugality. And it says, accomplish more with less, constraints breed resourcefulness, Self-suff- self-sufficiency and in invention. There are no extra points for growing headcount, budget size, or f- fixed expense.
0: Yeah. I mean, you Google Jeff Bezos and you'll see stories about his resourcefulness um, to this day, right? From From back in the day. I mean, that's how that guy is wired. That's how that company has been built. I mean, there's the story of them building their desks out of like doors or something like that. And they did that for a while and they may even still do that. It's like, and it's a source of pride within the company. And it uh, informs the type of people that they hire, right? You have to show that you're scrappy, that you're resourceful. That was a core value of ours. at brand folder was scrappy. My marketing guy at the time said, Oh, I don't like the word scrappy. And I was like, dude, maybe you shouldn't be here. Um, Sorry if you're listening, Brian, but (laughs) we had that conversation. Um, So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And to your 10x point within Gmail, which is interesting to hear. Um, in- investors, uh, you know, especially venture capitalists, if you're starting a company, you're going to expect that you're building something that is 10x better than whatever you're competing against, or else they're not going to be like, they're not going to be excited about putting their money into it. So you got to be swinging for the fences to a degree and coming up with something that you think is a good solution to a problem you've in- identified that's much better than incumbent solutions.
1: Do you think you have to give up everything in order to gain anything of significance?
0: Man, that's a great question. I don't know if you have to give up everything. You know, I think myself personally, I'm on my second company. I've never, for whatever reason, been the guy that thought I could start a company while running another company um, or working another full-time job. I've had to take the leap. So I think that is giving up a lot. Um, I've been able to do that for you know for whatever reasons. I've had previous jobs where I've been able to save. I'm fairly frugal personally, so I've been able to do that. That gave me that optionality, and I knew that I had some skills that I could go back out into the workforce should I need to. Right, so I didn't give up everything, but I certainly gave up much higher paying opportunities to to build things that that I wanted to build. Do
1: you think even for because you mentioned startups and, and hiring or recruiting others to come aboard? Um, you have to have the same mindset as those that you're recruiting. Um, for example, if, if we're starting a business and we, and we you know, hire an MBA that's working at a very large consulting business who's never been in a startup, the probability of that relationship failing is almost 100%. Um, you need to get people in that can wear multiple hats, that know that they are not going to make a lot of money in the beginning, uh, maybe there's equity involved, the upside in the future. Um, but do you have any recommendations for those that are building out, maybe a property management company yeah. um, from from the ground up, Where, what to look for when hiring? Um, are there any any tricks, tips that you can offer?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, look, hiring is really hard and critically important. And I wouldn't claim to be an expert at it, nor would I claim to be an expert manager. And it can be challenging getting out of that, if you want to use sole proprietor, sole founder, entrepreneur, whatever, um, mindset into, okay, we need to bring the folks into this organization that are going to help us grow. And as part of that, you have to let go of stuff. You have to know when to let go of stuff. You have to know what to let go of and who to give it to and what type of person to give it to. Um, and yes, they need to be able to wear multiple hats as well. So, you know, I don't, I hustle. I don't think you can teach hustle basically. So, in a in a startup, if you're not going to hustle at the early stage, maybe there gets a point when you've got 250 employees and people are specialized and they're doing very specialized tasks and they can work eight hour days. Sure. That occurs. But at the early stage, that's not going to happen. So it's just a wiring in people that not just think they want to be in a startup, but actually, you know, have that hustle, which I think is hard to teach. I don't know. I, I don't know what you think. Can you teach hustle? I,
1: I think, um, I think you can, no, I really don't think you could fully teach hustle. I think um, growing up, um, you have that mindset, um, maybe from your parents, maybe it's just internal. Um, a lot of competitors within sports. Tend to have that mindset. Um, We like to hire uh, ex athletes.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. um,
1: Because they know what it takes to get to that next level. They know how to set goals. They have structure many times, especially NCAA athletes baseball, football, hockey, lacrosse, women's basketball, whatever it might be. um, They are from a very early age, your program to really exceed your potential. Um, so that's one thing to look at. Um, actually looking at um, those uh, younger individuals that maybe just graduated college or maybe didn't even go to college mm-hmm. and that don't have a lot of experience, yeah. sometimes if you see that they uh, have that drive and are willing to learn and learn from their mistakes – um, those are the best hires. Yeah,
0: no, I agree. We've got, you know, one of our team members at, at Bigfoot. She's, she's great. She's incredible. Um, <clears throat> she runs operations for us and we keep putting more and more on her plate. She's been with us for you know 15 months now about, um, but you know, not a traditional path, not a college degree, certainly didn't grow up in financial services was at the end of the day is what we do, uh, worked at Starbucks for a while. You know, she came in and she has absolutely dominated it. Uh, takes ownership of projects, asks questions, asks smart questions, interacts with cu- customers. Great. She's just growing. And, you know, the fact that we keep giving her more, I think is a, uh, we love to be able to do that. And I think it's a reward for her as well, because it keeps her growing in her, in her um, you know, experience, in her career, where, wherever that leads her. And if that's with Bigfoot for, you know, the next 15, 20 years, that's awesome. Um, so I think giving those opportunities to to younger people that are hungry, that, prove that they want to take on responsibility and commit is is awesome. Um, I had another point there, but I forgot. I'm sure it'll come back to me. Well,
1: as you were talking about Starbucks, um, a couple of things that, that that came to mind. One, um, there's actually something that we did at, at RentBits back in the day, um, and we called it uh, the Starbucks test. And what we would do is when someone would come in for an interview process, either locally or flying in from out of state, we would actually take them to Starbucks. We had a Starbucks right down the street from our uh, original headquarters. And before we ordered anything, we would tell the baristas there to mess up the order. And we would order the drinks. And, of course, That's it was so cruel. messed up. And we wanted to see how they would react mm-hmm. to change, to uncertainty. Um, do they brush it off and say, oh, no problem, um, here's what I actually wanted. Do they get angry? Mm-hmm. We, we've had a couple that just would 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 just be rude and mean to the baristas. And that was an immediate. Yeah. Okay. Because right. they're already a
0: little bit stressed, probably. They're nervous. They're on edge. They're in an interview environment with new people trying to put the best foot forward. And they end up not doing not that. Not doing that.
1: Yeah. Right. So, um, So Starbucks was great for that. And even hiring ex was actually a really good thing. We, we hired a couple and Starbucks has a great job of training, of hiring the right people that can multitask. It sounds like you have the same
0: idea. Yeah, same no, absolutely. And I remember the two points, you know, interns, interns are great, right? If that's someone in college, is that someone coming out of college? Look for someone in the real estate program, look for someone, you know, I've looked for people in the marketing program, whatever it may be to help write content to, um, manage our social media presence, right? And those are really low-cost resources that you're giving an opportunity to. If nothing else, they've got another, you know, job on their, on their resume. And then you can kind of have this pipeline of people that you can select from to, to bring into your organization. Um, one other point was people that have started something before, started a business before, maybe it worked out great, maybe it didn't work out, you know, and things cannot work out for a variety of reasons. doesn't mean that they're not capable and still hungry, uh, and have some expertise and hard knocks learnings to bring to bring into the to the company. Um, so ex-founders, people that have you know run side projects, you know it's always interesting to see what else do you work on, right? What do you do in your spare time? Because I think that shows um, desire to learn, desire to create, not settling for for whatever you may have. I mean, I think that's kind of what in my DNA, I have a non-settling kind of, DNA, right? If you look at my LinkedIn, like if I was trying to go get a real job from someone, they'd be like, uh, oh, Brian, you've had seven jobs. I scroll for your LinkedIn for 15 minutes, right? It takes me forever to get to the bottom. So, you know, I could see why people would be concerned about that, but I think that's an indicator of my, of my entrepreneurial natures. You get antsy after a little bit, um, and you want to work on a new project or start something new. So,
1: so true. That's why, so many entrepreneurs can't go back to working for Google. Uh, I think they have a hundred thousand employees now. Um, but those types of businesses like Google are doing a good job of keeping and retaining the entrepreneurial mindset um, either through aqua hires or acquiring other companies or actually um, hiring employees that have failed. I love working with people that have failed, maybe not, not just in business, but failed in life. Yeah. You know, for example, you know, in ninth grade, I, I, I got cut from the baseball team. I, I, a lot of people would have just quit baseball. That made me work even harder to eventually getting a scholarship in baseball to play uh, in college. Right, So um, it's those types of things. Or didn't, failing. Didn't Michael Jordan get cut? Michael Jordan got cut in ninth grade from, from basketball. Yeah, I mean,
0: you're basically Michael Jordan.
1: I'm. I'm that's pretty much true. Yeah. Or he's basically me. Right. However you want to I've him. heard him say that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's like those things where if you fail and you fail big – what do you do with that? Do you hide in the sand? Does that make you stronger? Right? So I love working with people that have failed and failed spectacularly, as long as they learn from it.
0: Yeah. You, and not repeat it. Yeah. I mean, I think brand folder, look, that was my first time as a CEO. I was 30 years old. I was excited to be a CEO. You know, I jumped into that. Did I know what I was doing? No. Did I know the market I was serving? No, not really. Um, did we really know what we were building? Not necessarily so, um, not ideal, but, um, you know, I learned a lot from that and that has informed now I'm, you know, about to turn 37. So I think over the past seven years, that's plus a couple of other experiences since then professionally really informed to where now I'm a, frankly, a much more confident entrepreneur. I feel much more comfortable with what I'm doing. I know what I want to be doing and why I want to be doing it rather than just being, oh, a CEO, um, So, yeah, I think that's important. You know, I wrote a blog post years ago, probably four or five years ago now, 10, you know, my 10 learnings as a first-time CEO. I can't remember if I put failing in there, but, you know, I I consider my first CEO gig to have been a failure. Like, I really do. Brandfolder's doing well, but I, as a CEO, was not great by any stretch of the imagination.
1: So true. I mean, that's important to recognize it, too. So many entrepreneurs and maybe these are the sole proprietors that we're talking about before, they fail to recognize their shortcomings. And if you fail to recognize your shortcomings, you can never improve. So it's very important. You know, some of the most successful, you know, good to great, right? Some of the most successful businesses and CEOs are the most humble people out there. Um, They're not the type A personalities that maybe you you hear about all right. the time on TV because they're always but but those yeah I, I have a 20 off the top of my head. Um just here locally, John Nordenmark is an example. Craig Smith is an example of just really great, humble people that have been extremely successful because of the way they lead.
0: Yeah. I mean there's many ways to be successful. There are many ways to lead. There's, you know, there's so much noise out there. And again, a lot of those type A People get a lot of that noise because they create it and they thrive off of it, and that's just the way it, it works in our media society, I suppose. And so we see a lot of that and think, "Oh man, I need to be like that. I need to be." But don't. I think it's important to not try to be someone that that you aren't at your core, because um, then you're being fake, and that will show through, right? And so again, be successful in ways that that you're comfortable being successful. I suppose just be you. Yeah. I mean, I think so. Seriously, so people, people, be some... people want you to be you Yeah. and not everyone's going to like you and not everyone's going to invest you. for invest in you or buy from you or, but you know, find those that will. Um, and those are the people you want to partner with.
1: So what, what's the next steps? Do you, where do you see the economy going in 2019?
0: Oh my goodness. Um, I don't know is my short answer. I mean, it's been a rough past few months, I think. I mean, if we're talking public markets, right, and metrics around manufacturing and all sorts of stuff, I don't pay as much attention to macroeconomics as I used to because, frankly, I don't think they impact our business and what we do all, all that much. Um, but I think, um, I don't know, it's a different time, right? Like a lot of things are happening that are um, that last happened a decade ago. We know it happened a decade ago. So we'll see if we can come out of that or if that's going to... Um, to really slow things down, make you know the capital markets more challenging, uh, make people cut budget line items, which could be your product that you're selling, for instance. Uh, so people are going to have to be nimble; they have to adjust. I mean, I think it's always important, coming back to resourcefulness, to manage your resources carefully, right? Um, if you get too out over your skis and things change and the rug gets pulled up out from underneath you, that's a um, that's a challenge, right? Not that you can't work your way out of that challenge, but...
1: Well, so many entrepreneurs I talk to or, or um, who want to be entrepreneurs, they say, well, the timing is not right. The market's mm-hmm. turning. You know, this is 2008. Um, but in 2008, that's some of the biggest, best brands and businesses that were launched. You have Uber, you have Airbnb. They launched in 2008 because of the economy. If the economy was not bad... Uber would not have been successful because you had people wanting to make extra money or Uber or Airbnb wanted to make extra money. Um, if everyone was rich, then those types of businesses would not have been successful. So timing was so important. Uh, do you agree with that? If you're looking to start a business, is there, is there ever a right time or bad time to
0: start a business? You know, it's a great, it's a great follow-on to my answer, which wasn't all that great. Um, uh, you're right. I mean, I don't know, is there ever a right time to start a business? I don't know. There's opportunities, certain in down, certainly in downturn, uh, downturns to to start businesses, to seize on opportunities when other people are, are not doing so, to see kind of the white space that people aren't seeing. Um, so that can be one. I mean, timing in terms of taking a product into a market, you know, that can happen. I've seen that happen. That, frankly, happened with Brandfolder. I don't think the market that we were serving with our product was truly ready for it or interested in it to a large degree for maybe uh, two and a half, three years after we launched it, right? So we had to grind through that. And then you start getting market acceptance, digital asset management, what we were doing, started getting more mind share, started getting more press. People were talking about it more, seeing the value. It was evolving, right? So you can, I mean, taking a product into a market that's not ready for it can be an easy way to fail, right? And you hear that the market just wasn't there. And that's a real legitimate um reason for something not working out um so there's that i mean let's talk personal right uh, i'm about to have my first kid right um which congrats. is awesome congrats. thank you sir congrats to you thank dan you. just had a his second, uh, second. baby yeah no sleep <laughs> so uh i'm a few months out right like if i hadn't started brandful or uh, bigfoot you know a little over two years ago now starting it now would be a different uh, mental exercise right so there's those those uh, considerations in everyone's personal life, whatever that may be, that you certainly want to take into consideration. It doesn't mean don't do it. Um, yeah. So as you as
1: you were talking, I was thinking about, uh, for some reason, a marathon. And did you know a vast majority of the people that quit a marathon, it's like mile 17, 18, 19. Mm-hmm. So most quit right before they're about to be most successful. But with that said, is there any time that's a good time to quit um if you're starting a business
0: yeah i think there is yeah i mean
1: like when so for example if you were it, it, you probably had the thought of quitting so many times especially with brandfolder because of the two and a half years of adoption being slow the, the market not being quite ready you could have totally quit brandfolder could have been gone now it's extremely successful but there was something that was telling you guys not to quit. Yeah. So what was that? And what would have got you to quit?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think stubbornness and just kind of wanting to keep going and run through walls. And I don't know if it's pride or or what it is, um, keeps you going, right? But I think you also have to be attuned to uh, it's not the best thing to keep going. It's something that's never going to be successful, let's just say, right? And there's indicators that <clears throat> you don't have any customers or people may buy your product once and never come back um, or, or whatever it may be, or your business model doesn't make sense and it's never going to make sense. Uh, you probably shouldn't keep on plodding away at that for 10 years. Maybe you should because things could change. I don't know. I mean, right? There's every business is hard. I mean, there's a statistic out there for software businesses that it takes them on average seven years to get to a million dollars in revenue. That's a long time right? That's like a fairly surprising thing. So think about grinding for the next seven years, because you got to go into the mindset, but that's what it's going to be. I'm two two years into Bigfoot. Now we're ready to grow. And I think, you know, the next few years are going to be really exciting for us, but you know, then I'm five years in and it's it's still not where I want it to be and where I believe it can be. So then there's the next five years and the next, so it's just a lot of resilience. But, you know, I think, you know, another thing is, Uh, To a degree, if if your passion is completely depleted and you can no longer get yourself excited, um, maybe that's an indicator that you need to move on to something else. If you've got 10 other ideas that are way more exciting to you than what you've been doing, indicator to move on to something else.
1: This This was a great, you know, we're out of time now, but this was absolutely amazing. Thank you for taking the time to be here. Let's definitely do it again.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for listening. Go to rentbits.com forward slash podcast for show notes and more.
1: So uh, this is a little bit of a a post interview. We had a little bit of a challenge and because we are being resourceful, uh, we are now back online where it is going through our podcast microphones correctly. Um, So we apologize for the somewhat abrupt ending, but, uh, we just wanted to briefly get back on with you guys and do a recap of what we talked about today about being extremely resourceful. Brian, any, any, any closing comments?
0: Closing comments. I mean, first things first, I think it's worth mentioning that. Yeah, I repeat myself a lot, I feel. Uh, but at the end of that, I was repeating myself a lot, a lot because I was looking at Dan with his head in his hands when he realized the USB to our equipment was not plugged into, uh, to his laptop. So, uh, I didn't know what the hell had happened, frankly, Dan, but, uh, that, times. that was good our times. abrupt ending. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think we touched on a lot of good stuff, right. In, in terms of being resourceful, um, I, I think just approaching whatever endeavor with that mindset that you have to scrape and claw, Um, to get these things to work um, with little resources is is important, right? And it's just, you can't rely upon other people necessarily to do it for you. You have to have the internal fortitude, drive strength, um, curiosity, go seek out other people and find people that are wired that way too. Not someone that wants to come into your business and have a million dollar budget to put to work because that's not going to be the case. And oftentimes you'll see that um, from people that have been very successful, but guess what? They've had a lot of money behind them to be very successful. And at the end of the day, their ass wasn't on the line. Um, so, you know,
1: well, and, and one thing that we talked about is, you know, everyone reads TechCrunch and business insider and um, company XYZ just raised $42 million or company XYZ just, you know, sold for $400 million. One many times um, that does not mean it's successful. Um, Yeah, it's great to raise money and a good, you know, that will get you to hopefully your end goal. But just because you read something that a company sold for four hundred million dollars, in fact, just last month a company sold for four hundred and thirty million dollars, and the founders got zero money because they raised six hundred million dollars to to sell for four hundred. So even the investors lost some money there. So I think it's that's good to kind of keep that in mind as an entrepreneur and and looking at all the stuff that's out there and all the you know, flashy objects and, oh, everyone's successful and I'm not, <laughs> that is not reality. Yeah. So just keep that in mind as you're growing your business.
0: You know, one more thing that came to mind, and I don't want to go on ad nauseum because this is meant to be the wrap up, is um, don't be too hard on yourself, right? The situations you're going to face are challenging. You're doing something that many, many people cannot identify with uh, directly. Um, many, most people don't start companies, right? They don't take that risk. They don't have that desire. Um So don't beat yourself up. I think I've done this before. I think I've been too negative in terms of talking about what I'm doing with other people before. And no one wants to hear that, right? Sure, it's good to get some therapy, but you want people to be excited about what you're doing. So um, you got to stay optimistic, right? You have to realize these challenges are going to be there and there are opportunities to overcome them, as as cliche as that sounds. But to the extent that you can get outside of your own head, not wallow (laughs) in isolation, um, when things are tough, um, have a support network, you know, and and talk um, optimistically and with excitement about the opportunity that'll continue to help you believe in it, make you feel better about it, keep you energized, have other people think, you know, you're doing great. Maybe it is kind of fake it till you make it, but they're excited. They'll tend to then, you know, try to help you in whatever way is possible and things start happening for you. So, um, yeah, just keep it optimistic.
1: You know, I think I think we'll we'll live it at we'll leave it at that. And uh, uh, one thing that comes to mind is to always be the tigger and not the eagle. I like it. All right. Thanks, Brian. Thanks. Appreciate
0: man. it. Yeah. Brought to you by Rentbits.com. Search over
1: two hundred thousand rental properties within the United States for free. Find the perfect house, condo, or apartment for rent at rentbits.com.